They just did not react to any of these artists because they didn't know them. But I said, everyone here is a clearly defined demographic. They all spend money on music. They all like hard rock. I bet you if we told them what music's being played, some would buy the record, some would go see them in concert. And I presented this idea to executives at Capitol Records, and uh, they kind of just laughed me out the building. Mm. So being the motivated guy that I like to think I am, I was like, this is this makes too much sense. And so I had to find out who controls that time between bands. Are there any performing rights issues? Is it the venue? Is it the headliner? And long story too long, I ended up creating a program called Right Between the Acts. Welcome to the Habits to Goals podcast with Martin Grunberg. It's time to take control of your life. Are you ready to achieve goals faster and more consistently than ever before? You need the habit factor. You're listening to Habits to Goals, the podcast that helps you create the habits that lead to success. Here is Martin Grunberg. All right, before we jump into this episode, I'd like to encourage you, make sure you go ahead and subscribe to the Habits to Goals podcast. Do us, Henry and I, a huge favor, if you could please, leave a review. And finally, if you're new to the program, you're looking for a quick resource and a great tool, just text me, us, at 33444. Again, that's 33444, and simply text four goals. That's the number four, G-O-A-L-S. So that's four goals to 33444. You'll be dialed in. You'll get the template right away. Now let's bring it back to this episode. All righty, here we go. Welcome back. Thank you for joining me. My name, of course, is Martin Grunberg, and you have reached... Habits to Goals. Today we have a very, very, very special guest. Of course, they're all they're all very special. This one may just be the most special. He is a good buddy. He is a world famous Hollywood producer, and he does all sorts of very interesting things we're going to get into. Mr. Evan Saxon, how are you doing, sir? <laughs> Did we lose you? Hello? Oh, also here is ACDC. I think I'm at an ACDC concert. Seriously? You're hearing ACDC? Constantly. Oh, shit. You know what? Maybe that's my iTunes. <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, this is great. Oh, what a difference. I thought that was you playing ACDC on like your setup music. I'm not going to even edit that. That is such a crazy open. Wow. And, and it's from the heart. So, <laughs> so, yeah, that was as crazy as it gets. Evan, uh, now that you've turned down your Metal Master playlist, welcome to Habits to Goals. Thank you for joining us. Bring it Thank back, you. bring it back into the studio. Uh, how you doing today? I'm doing good, and I'm stoked that after 30 years, I finally get asked to be on. So, <laughs> thank you very much. Well, the show's technically only about 18 months, but uh, 30 That's years—that's just in dog years. 
Dog years it is. So before we dig into the career that has led you all over the world, uh, up and down like a, a roller coaster, I do want to uh, kick it off with the GTR. You can kick off or you can defer your choice, my man. No, I, I'm actually super stoked today. We just sent out uh, an announcement about a, a really innovative partnership we have with the band Green Day, and that went out today, and the response was overwhelming. So actually, you're catching me on, uh, on a good day. I'm very stoked <laughs> that I have a positive GTR. I love your GTR, and uh, just remind me at the end, I usually ask for links and fun stuff like that, so... Any any special promotion you're doing, I'm going to make sure we we tie this right back to your creative projects. All uh, my GTR is very simple. Spring is here, man. The water is warming up. Um, it's just you know you know how it is at the beach down here in San Diego. But uh, today was the first day. Finally, we're just we're breaking out of these chilly 58 56 degree waters and i think we're in the low low 60s and it's it's creeping up so it's just beautiful so that's my gtr but i think in san diego there's really a gtr every day and that's just basically (laughs) going outside (laughs) yeah it does not suck does not suck it does not suck so let's reel this back and we're going to skate through your early years, so to speak. You grew up in the Valley, correct? I grew up in the San Fernando Valley. I'm homegrown. You are home. <laughs> representing. Representing the, what is that, the what the 213? It was the 213, and then it grew into the 818. So yeah. I've lived through both area codes. I'm, <laughs> I'm a veteran. <laughs> well, if you stick around any longer, I'm sure they're going to split it a couple more times. You're probably right. Uh, but they're not going to touch your Skype. So I'll let that go. <laughs> so you went to high school where? I went to a couple of different high schools. I like to say I was highly recruited for my <laughs> academia, but I'm not sure that would be a truthful statement. Well, you can say it. I was highly recruited for my academia. There you go. And you then... <laughs> You then went to San Diego State, is that correct? I went to Pierce College, oh, and, then, okay. um, and then I went to San Diego State and Grossmont. And then I tried to finish up in Los Angeles at Cal State Northridge because that was you know bike riding distance from my house. And the pursuit of the career got in the way of the pursuit of a degree. Just and like just like Bill Gates. Yeah, well, I, I I tried and I I was offered an opportunity that conflicted with you know finishing out a couple of classes, and uh, I went for the work opportunity. Atta boy! Well, you can always go back and get those couple de- uh, credits if if you ever find it necessary. So so you you really uh, went around the horn. You said you. <laughs> It was Pierce? Yeah, I started at Pierce. I, uh, Amazingly enough, my older brother has a doctorate, sister-in-law, a master's from Harvard, 
dad a master's and I was completely ill prepared to go to college <laughs> and did not take the SAT or anything along those lines. I was I was busy not thinking about the future, thinking about what's going on Saturday night and playing in a rock band. And so I I went to Pierce and then my mom rightfully so said, You need to move away and pick a place to go to college. And my cousin was living on the beach in Mission Beach, and I went and visited, and I called mom. I found my spot. <laughs> oh, man. So Miss, that's how I ended up doing going to San Diego. The lessons of a fantastic misspent youth. So you work your way through-ish college mm-hmm. and nearly lock up that degree, but but there's this incredible business opportunity. Talk a little bit more about that. Well, I knew for a long time I wanted to work in music, in the music industry. I didn't want a job. I wanted a career. I wanted something that motivated me, that I was excited about. And certainly music was a passion for me, is a passion. So part of the reason I moved back from San Diego is there was there was no music industry there. So I moved back to Los Angeles, and I, I started as an intern at a – a great independent record label called IRS Records. We had REM and other very cool bands, um, very innovative owner. And the president was actually a young guy recruited out of UCLA. And I was doing working as an intern there, started as an intern and uh, continuing to go to school. And then I went to a division of Capital Records, uh, their distribution company. So I was learning about the distribution process. And I had a super cool boss. And an opportunity came up for me to be hired to be her assistant, and that conflicted with taking some afternoon classes. So that's why I, I, I stopped going to school and started really working full-time at Capitol Records. So that's Capitol Records, and, and you're still an intern at that point? No, or? I just – I became uh, an assistant, a paid assistant. You know, they, yep. I was – funny, it's – you know, almost, you know, sexist in a way, but I was the only male assistant on the floor at Capitol Records at the famous Tower Building, which, as many people might know, it's a round building, a very, you know, unique looking building. So you sat out in front and I I had a dynamite boss. And so I took the opportunity to start at the bottom. I'd already been at the very bottom as an intern. Now they were they were paying me and um, I, I couldn't have been happier. Yeah, well, what an and that's an I I mean iconic record label, iconic building, and probably just represented I you know from the outside looking in everything you wanted to be a part of. So that oh entirely yeah I was so stoked going to work every day I loved it <laughs> I loved it I didn't care what time I had to get up I didn't care how late I had to work I was having a great time. That's fantastic. And then out of Capital, um, how long do you stay there before you're on to your next little venture? I stayed there for a few years because it was kind of difficult to get a job and as, you know, outside of an assistant to be promoted. And I I was a motivated person and my boss was um, – I guess kind of unceremoniously pushed out. And as a young person, you're seeing these corporate politics go on and you're like, is this how it's supposed to go? Is this what really happens? 
because I, I did not have a frame of reference. And they brought in a new executive staff, and the person who replaced my boss, who had no experience whatsoever, told me point blank she would not hire me because I was too motivated and didn't want to stick around for a number of years to be her assistant. And I said, that's very foolish because I am going to work extra hard to make you look good so that I can get a different job here and be promoted and you're going to reap the benefit of it. Uh, But she did not, she did not see that light. And so I left that job, went to a different department and then started to cultivate my business at 25 or 26. So I love this. I mean, it's just shaping up beautifully because the the foundation here is you're going after your passion. You know where it is you want to go. You know what you're trying to do. And then as you hit an obstacle, you you're adapting, you're bobbing and weaving, but you're you're you know, you're like a heat <laughs> for lack of a better visual, a heat seeking missile going after your goal. And then at twenty five, twenty six, what is that new venture you you magically brainstorm? Well, when I was working for my boss, I asked her, you know, point blank, more of a statement, I guess it is. I told her, I understand what I do. A salesperson will call in, tell me to send posters to a record store. I get that. But how does this fit in to the whole ecosystem of what we're trying to do with, you know, new artists and established artists? And as I mentioned, my boss was a very confident uh, woman, and she said to me, would you like to sit in on some meetings? Well, geez, I, I was like the ultimate, because right. I got to sit in with the president and all the vice presidents. And again, naively, I thought that if you're a vice president of marketing or whatever your title is, that you're really a progressive and bright person. And I learned quickly that's not the case. So... I sat in on a meeting. I took my notepad. It was like I was back in school. And in the meeting, the only thing they really focused on was cursing MTV up one wall and radio down the next Hmm. because these two channels were not giving exposure to some of our artists. Yet during this entire time in this room with all these bright people – There was no dialogue on trying to create alternate channels to deliver music to consumers. It was basically fighting the status quo. And I'm going to say this a number of times. It wasn't taking control. It was losing control. And that's that's a motto that sticks with me uh, and I use often. I just used it the other day with a manager of a very successful band. So anyway, that night I went to go see Aerosmith and Skid Row at the Forum in Los Angeles. And during the intermission between bands, they were playing some new music. And when you're young and you work at a record label, you're super in tune with all the new bands and new music coming out. You live it, you breathe it. However, I I didn't recognize some of these artists. But towards the end of this intermission, they played an ACDC song, kind <laughs> of like I was playing earlier. Right. Um, And the crowd erupted. Hmm. So I knew everybody in the forum was listening to this music between bands. They just did not react to any of these artists because they didn't know them. But I said, 
everyone here is a clearly defined demographic. They all spend money on music. They all like hard rock. I bet you if we told them what music's being played, some would buy the record, some would go see them in concert. And I presented this idea to executives at Capitol Records, and uh, they kind of just laughed me out the building. Mm. So being the motivated guy that I like to think I am, I was like, this is this makes too much sense. And so I had to find out who controls that time between bands. Are there any performing rights issues? Is it the venue? Is it the headliner? And long story too long, I ended up creating a program called Right Between the Acts, where I curated and marketed new music to concert audiences across the country. And it was an idea that had never been done before. The business model was very unique. Um, There was a lot of barter involved. I first off found out that I needed to ultimately contract with the headliner of the tour. They control everything from the time you walk into the venue until you leave, what time the opening act goes on, you name it. Well, that's what I was going to ask. So so that's their say. So yep. when you're sitting there watching Guns N' Roses, Skid Row, or whoever, and, or Aerosmith, and one of the guys in the back just throws on his, his eight-track, uh, it's just somebody's killing time right between the acts, right? Exactly. And you're absolutely genius insight which by the way has now been copied and duplicated in movie theaters is the taking this downtime between the acts and and professionally marketing up and coming bands or really any band between the acts and so you had to navigate your way through that and figure it out who <clears throat> whose rights it, who who own the rights yep. and and then you probably I'm guessing there's a lot of negotiation or some just yep. around what would what they would consider allowable to promote so yeah talk us through some of some of that problem solving well that's exactly right because first off how do you put a value on something that's never been valued brilliant um So it was completely undervalued because there was no value on it, and it was an underutilized asset. So I was speaking to a dear friend of mine who was a a senior executive at a chain of record stores, and I was talking about my idea of playing new music to concert audiences. And he said, if you ever make this happen, if you'll tag, if you'll promote my stores on your program, I'll give you end cap space in my stores. And that's the, the end of an aisle, the most prime retail position right. in any sort of a retail store. It doesn't matter if it's a supermarket, record store, or sporting goods. Because he said, I want every one of those consumers at the forum to be at my record store. I said, wow, that really, that now that adds a whole new twist to what I'm going to want to do. Incredible synergy there because, yeah, now you're working in the retailer. Wow. Yep. Unbelievable. So I basically formulated a business model where I could now present to the headliner a compelling story. And I would say to them, look, that time before you go on stage is dead air. If you'll play my right between the acts program, 
And it was it was produced like a radio show. We'd get people like Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses or or another rock star or a striker from K-Rock or Jim Ladder, numerous famous people to do the voiceover work. And it sounded like it was a live radio show at the concert. And I said, if you'll feature my program before you go on stage and you'll have, as you mentioned, complete creative control in return. I'll market your entire tour at retail at no cost to you or your record label. And when I say I'll market your tour at retail, I'll make sure record stores like Tower or Virgin or Lose Records or somebody will put up a display promoting your current tour date in that city and sell price your current CD. I'll do all of this for free, and the value of it could exceed $40,000 depending upon the number of dates in your tour. And that was a compelling argument. It was hard to get people to try it at first because it was something new. And look, I was just 26 years old, started as an intern. I didn't know anyone. <laughs> Everything was from a cold call. That's fantastic. I mean, it's just, it, I keep saying this, but it's absolutely brilliant. So the, the question I have for you, because this was obvious, well, excuse me, it was available, not obvious, to, to anybody. Thousands of people go to concerts. Millions of people go to concerts. And this was, I don't know, what was it, 94, 95, something like that? Somewhere in there, yeah. And so, truly, there had been thousands of concerts and millions of concert goers for decades upon decades and, and dead time from the opening act to the headliner, what, <clears throat> why, and this is just, nobody has the answer, I'm just curious your take, why do you think nobody noticed this, or if they did, why do you think they didn't move on it? I think because it was kind of a nebulous thing, and no one really thought about it, and they took it for granted. They looked at it, they didn't look at it as a valued asset. They just thought of it as, you said, dead time. So when you label something as dead, that's the value. Dead, you know, it's not worth much to people. Where I was looking to try and get a gig, man. So I was trying to find any way to prove value, to show that I could think outside the box. I honestly never thought I would do a tour. I I never thought anyone would call me on my bluff. I just went back to Capitol Records and said, hey, when our artists tour, we should make a program and play our other bands during the intermission before they go on stage. All right, just a quick timeout. want to make sure you're aware that when you subscribe, that is you hit the subscribe button, you're going to get three episodes automatically delivered to you, and in some cases, wirelessly. So you'll get your Mind Bullet Monday, your interview on Wednesday, and of course your Frequently Asked Friday, all automatically delivered when you subscribe. And on a related note, just want to make sure you realize it helps Henry and I tremendously, if you're getting value, to leave a quick review, particularly in iTunes. iTunes values reviews It weighs them very heavily, and that helps the show rankings and how we can spread our message. And one more 
quick note about our great sponsor, Audible.com. If there's one thing I know, and I think Jim Rohn was the one who said this originally, in five years, the difference in your life will be largely based upon two things, the books you've read and the relationships you have fostered. Doesn't it make sense to take advantage of the downtime, whether you're on the road, on a run, in the gym, kill a couple birds with one stone, get a book going? It's phenomenal. It's I, The more people I turn on to it, the more uh, compliments I get. Not that I've actually done anything. 180,000 titles to choose from. You get one free book a month. 30% off any other book. Again, check it out. AudibleTrial.com forward slash habits to goals. I'm going to say that again real quick. AudibleTrial.com forward slash habits to goals. And that is the number two. And and the best part is they laughed you out of the building. So right. the reason I'm I'm asking this in a general sense is because I believe – there's actually some interesting parallels with the habit factor, and um, and I wasn't even going to go there. I, for for the listener, I think there are thousands of these things, air quotes, opportunities for all of us to see when we're looking for them. And I think you nailed it, Evan. Our language dictates our our focus and attention. So if everybody's looking at it, as you just said, as dead time, then where's where's the value? Where's the opportunity? The parallel, of course, to, to the habit factor was much, much the same in that people would view there's a negative connotation to the word habit, smoking, mm. drinking, drugs. So there was no correlation to goals as a process, as a methodology to goal achievement. And again, for the listener, the, the bigger lesson is our language drives our thinking. And there's just no way to get around that. So if we question labels, if you question the obvious that's in front of us, I think there's tremendous opportunities. Somehow you found it in you, I think you just said it, you were hungry, but you're looking for opportunities. And then boom, it hits you this kind of epiphany that, wow, this isn't dead time. This is opportunity time. Right. Um, that's, that's a great, I'm glad I, glad I asked that because yeah, that's the language forging what everybody considers, you know, the, the, the majority of people are looking one way that means there's an opportunity to question and look the other way. So so that's amazing. And then you started getting right between the acts, gigs, one after another. Um, yep. and, then, and then what happens? Where do we go from there? Because I know you're doing a lot of really fun and amazing stuff with uh, independent films these days. That is correct. Through right between the acts <clears> – <throat> I had the pleasure of being on tour with some, you know, amazing artists invited us. I mean, from Sting to the Ramones to Slayer, Pantera, Weezer, wow. number of tours with B.B. King, Buddy Guy, Steve Earle, on down the line. And through through this, I was able to cultivate the trust 
I like to think they trusted me because they invited me, of, you know, key executives at record labels and artist managers. And as I was building this and things were going along, you know, new technologies came in and Napster and the Internet. And I've said for years the record industry takes to new technology slower than the Amish. <laughs> and wow. the record industry started to buckle and didn't know what to do. And instead of expanding during time of opportunity, was contracting due to perceived fear. So anyway, I, I started to do a little bit less tours. However, another opportunity came to me due to new technologies and Basically, some executives called me about wanting to speak on their behalf with a group of people that wanted to put music content, concerts, into movie theaters. There was a, like there was a digital transformation on how people consume and receive music. Much the same was going on in exhibition in that films were going to be no longer distributed on big pallets of film reel, but would be distributed digitally in a variety of different formats, either through satellite or on a hard drive. So, so that opened up new opportunities. So people would literally go to a movie theater, like a high def theater with quality, you know, super sound and watch a concert as though they were there. And, this allowed the artist to broadcast concerts really all over the world. Correct. Basically, this opportunity created revenue streams and uh, marketing opportunities for two entities which really didn't interact much, that being exhibition the movie theaters and recording artists and record labels. And now these guys had an opportunity to really benefit from each other's content and technology. Yeah, that's, that's, that is just, uh, fantastic. And I think from, from my perspective, watching you just, uh, continue to evolve and adapt, you know, it reminds me of the great, Darwin quote that it's not the strongest or the smartest species that survives. It's the most adaptable. And, right. and while the record, record, <laughs> thank you. I can't, that's Darwin, but thank you. Uh, so <laughs> the fact is it doesn't matter how smart you are, or how strong you are, but, but here you are because you're super strong and super smart. Uh, but you're smart enough to adapt, and as the environment, the record industry uh, goes through its own pains, here ops, uh, you know, another opportunity presents itself. So fantastic! And then what happens? Well, I had to, much like right between the acts, I had to explain to content owners: there's a whole new business model here. <laughs> right? There's a whole new opportunity to distribute your content. And to market it. And so I came up with a, you know, a new business model that I would educate exhibitors on because I knew nothing, absolutely nothing about film exhibition, distribution, movie theaters. I knew nothing. So anything I did, 
I did looking at it in terms of how can I benefit the artists that I work with. But at the same time, I had to meet the needs of what the exhibitor is looking for. And it turns out they were quite compatible. Uh, more compatible than probably either party wanted to admit to. <laughs> but that's you just, uh, just, yeah, I mean, balancing everybody's uh, ambitions and desires, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, what I learned, if you're a movie theater, you're really solely dependent on one source of content, and that's from a movie studio. That's it. Right. So you're kind of – it's an odd business model where really you're just told play this film for the most part. Make sure the popcorn tastes good. The film runs on time, and the studio will do all of the marketing. And with the rollout of digital projectors, the movie theater can now position themselves from a movie theater to a community entertainment uh, destination where we can now play independent films. We can see the opera. We can see a rock concert. So their content offerings were significantly enhanced through the new technology of the digital projector. Which and is, yeah, beautiful. That causes really a completely established business, much like the record labels, to adapt, to think differently, and to realize the opportunities at hand. And like anything else, some excelled at this, and some stuck their head in the sand. Um, but I had to explain to them, guys, there's a whole new revenue stream here. You can play concerts, and I'm going to bring people into your movie theater that never go before. On, all, on nights, I usually played content on usually Wednesday or Thursday night. Movie theaters operate at 8 to 15% capacity Monday through Thursday. Right. They make all their money Friday, Saturday, and, and, and right. Sunday. But no movie theater is ever going to tell you, yeah, you know, my theaters are empty on a Tuesday night. I could really use some help. But after a while, you know, the, the cat got out of the bag, and it was obvious. That's just their, you know, it's like, why are we doing it this way? Because that's the way we've always done it. They never stop to perhaps consider the alternatives. And with the new digital projectors, it for the right ambitious movie theaters um, who are forward thinking all of a sudden instead of having one entertainment stream or you know cash flow opportunity they have dozens if they're just open to it and can kind of get out of their own way from doing the same thing over and over so you present that to them and that's and that's what you're doing today, or is there a little twist on it with some of your new projects? No, I mean, we're doing that today. I started off, I was really, I'd like to say one of the first, except the guy that I'm working with, Richard Abramowitz, was pretty much the first um, to put concert films into movie theaters and create a, really a new business model of distribution called Event Cinema. Mm -hmm. And not only are we doing concert films, we're doing amazing socially conscious documentary films and we're also doing documentary films on performing arts and we're also putting in some operas so we've expanded our content offerings we don't you know do your traditional rom-com or horror flick per se we're pretty specialized in what we do and that's what people come to us for i think that's that's fantastic and and again i think as the listener 
this is so inspiring to me um, because it just it it reminds me everything is constantly changing, which means there's an unlimited supply of new opportunities and um, your story is a perfect example of that. So, all right, as we round second base, I want to talk to you about some kind of general themes, concepts, ideas, and I think the first one, the obvious one, is something I ask all the guests. I, I'm curious, Evan, your your definition of success. Well, I define there's different successes is there a success for me for my clients is when they're happy whatever that happiness is if they feel we've done a good job that's a level of success that i'm eager to obtain all the time (laughs) right um in terms of personal success i would say and certainly this changes as one grows but right now, it's my quality of life. And I think I have a quality of life that is extremely successful and purely crafted due to my own efforts. Um, it took me a long time to realize that. And finally, one of my dear friends, Todd Sullivan, said, Evan, why don't you just take time to appreciate what you've created, what you've done, instead of you know constantly chasing, which is good to chase but you don't give yourself any credit. Right. And I was like, wow, you're right. And then I think about it and I'm like, you know, I've done stuff nobody else ever has. I've created and demonstrated success in terms of sales or however you want to define it. So right now I define my personal success is if I'm able to maintain the quality of life that I have, um, then I win. Beautiful. And if you were, and this is too funny, usually I don't, I don't know. So the question is, <laughs> hold on to your answer for a sec. What advice would you give your 20 year old self? And, and the reason I'm laughing is because I, I knew the 20 year old self. <laughs> I don't know so, if he'd listen. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's the obvious, uh, true answer but despite that what would you tell him uh put down the beer (laughs) no (laughs) Uh, um i if i i would tell i might even start earlier at you know 18 and i would say to study harder you know for school um because once i did study in college finally uh it was amazing. I was able to get all A's in upper division econ, and that was the first time I ever studied. I would do that. I would say to take school more seriously to a young 20-year-old. Um, the advice I would give to myself in my mid-20s, I kind of had, is no fear of failure. Right on. That's great. That is fantastic. And how do you have... Going through the entrepreneurial roller coaster as as uh, you have, how, and that's something that seems to never end. How, how do you battle through tough days? What's the mindset, the mental toughness? What do you? How do you coach your way through that? Well, 
I tell myself all fires eventually go out and no one really gets that burned. I also tell myself it's not brain surgery. So nobody gets hurt if there is an error, even if the error or problem ultimately can't be resolved to bring it back to perfection. So something is dent or damaged. No one, no one really gets hurt. And again, it goes back to my, you know, no fear of failure, but I just try to just battle on. Um, look, sometimes it's, I wake up in the middle of the night with the heart palpitation, <laughs> right? You know, Oh shit. Um, did I, what happened or whatever. Um, but I, I just tell myself, okay, this will be done. Just, just go through it. Just deal. It's not easy, man. Cause I'm, you know, I'm, I don't have a large staff to delegate to. Right. The buck stops and starts and stops with Evan. Well, that's great. You're you're responsible. <laughs> Some might debate that, but I'd like to think so. A hundred percent responsible. So, well, you you uh, of course know this is called habits to goals, and we talked about the definition of success. I I'm <laughs> I got to be able to do this without laughing. How what? Give me two or three of your best best habits that that really have shaped the success that you have as you know it. You know, Mark, I'll be honest with you. I'm the dude that needs your help more than anybody else probably listening <laughs> to this show. That's not true, because, and it's not my because, help. I don't help anybody. Go ahead. Well, you advise, but nonetheless, <laughs> I, it's hard for me to maintain good habits. Um, I'd say I have certain rituals might be a habit. I, I know what I like to do in the morning to get myself focused. Um, and that's, I, I relax. I, I can, I read the sports page in the paper and I slowly move into what I need to do. That's great. Um, yeah. A ritual is, uh, just for clarity is a series of habits. So that is a perfect example. You ease into the day yeah. Go through your yeah. own little ritual to get yourself mentally balanced and sharp. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I do that every, I'm, I'm the same every morning. Yeah. That's in, called in a that habit. Way. Um, Beautiful. I'm also, it's interesting. And I don't know if the term biorhythms applies, but there's many days I'm able to charge much harder than I am on other days. And I've learned to ride those waves. Whereas before it was, could be almost paralytic. Right. If I felt I didn't have the, I, I guess, in, in, internal fortitude to go ahead and go after that deal or charge, sell, 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 or do the bookkeeping or whatever needed to happen. So I've learned to accept that some days I'm just on fire and others days it's you know I'm a slog and it's a slow burn but that's I think that just kind of comes with experience and acceptance that's what but I was going to say I think it comes that. with comes with age and experience absolutely you're just more in tune with you have so many months in your rearview mirror to gauge and to understand the energy pattern so that's a right. great that's a great one too thank you for sharing that I love that um, but I don't have, and I wish the one pa uh, habit I wish I had was a clearly defined physical fitness regimen. Even if it was just jumping rope 
15 minutes in the morning or whatever the case may be. I do walk the dogs. That's another great escape. Yeah. Clear the head move. I do that every night uh, and I do it every morning. So those would be two habits. I mean, the, the dog habit is forced on me by the dogs. Right. Because they're looking at me like, uh, get me out. That's right. It's time to go. Time to go, bro. <laughs> so those are those are some of my habits. Certainly, I'm, look, I'm smart enough to know what I don't know. And I know I don't have good, you know, other habits. Well, obviously, you're doing you're doing a lot right to to be where you are and uh, have the kind of success that you've had. So um, as we begin to button this up, is there a particular transformative or favorite book that uh, has really kind of shifted or profoundly affected you? Well, you know, I used to read a lot more when I was younger. And, you know, the two books that I really, really liked and could never put down was uh, Willy Wonka and The Phantom Tollbooth um, and reading stuff by Vonnegut. I tend to read now for uh, books about the Supreme Court, because if I could have any job in the world outside of being a tennis pro, I want to sit on the Supreme Court. Wow. So those are books that I would read. Got it. And so you said Willy Wonka. What was the other one? The Phantom Tollbooth. Phantom Tollbooth. Any particular Vonnegut that you comes to mind? You know, I liked uh, Breakfast of Champions. I liked, um, oh, I have to go look at some of the titles. I have a bunch of them. You know, Vonnegut got me through three college reports. <laughs> and I don't think they're the same ones. Yeah. As long as they weren't the same. Um Fantastic. Yeah, Breakfast of Champions is is an all-time favorite. Um, how about a favorite app, tool, you know, website, something you can't that helps, you know, drive your business or keep you organized, anything tech gadgety that uh you think would be of value to share, something you use a lot. Well, you know, I'm not a big tech guy, but I tell you, when I bought the large size iPhone and I could have that text be big so much so that the guy across the bar said I could read it from here, <laughs> I was stoked because it's super easy for me to use. Um, I don't, you know, I, I go to different sites to read different things. Um, but there's, if you were to say what, tool do i use the most it would probably be my um iphone 6 and they just sent me a new one because the previous one broke and so apple care works that's good usually for everybody else i exclude the option to to uh name the phone as the device but you're gonna you're gonna escape with that one pardon good job sorry yeah i like flashboard as an app though it's a lot of good reading for me there you go flashboard Flipboard, flipboard, flipboard. I'm sorry, flipboard. Flipboard. Yeah, there you go. Good. We got one out of you. Yeah. I'm All right. That. Well, Evan, this has been uh I've always known you're a genius. Now I now it's absolutely affirmed. Um before I let you go, is there an upcoming show, event, anything maybe we can link to in the future? Anything you want to mention that we can help 
promote and direct people to to learn more about you and your good work? That's very kind. I would say there's a super interesting documentary we're putting out called Bang, the Burt Burns story. And I never heard of Burt Burns, but I know songs like Twist and Shout, Brown Eyed Girl, I Want Candy, and others. Burt wrote these songs, and he became one of the biggest writer-producers of the 60s. Hmm. And then the mob got involved. So it's basically a, a story of the music, of the music industry, mob, and hit records. And it's Keith Richards is in the film, and Van Morrison, and Paul McCartney. Wow. Numerous others. It's a fascinating story, and he died at 38. Oh. Um, in, in the mid-60s. And the film is made by his uh, children who didn't really know him. So they learned about him through this making of the documentary. So it's called Bang, the Burt Burns Story. I would recommend people, at the very least, check out the trailer. It's killer. Yeah, it sounds amazing. So did he die under, uh, you, you mentioned the, the mob or the gang. So I'm just, I'm wondering if he died under mysterious circumstances or... or Nope, he was a sickly um, kid, had a weak heart, and the movie is fast-paced. I mean, this guy was type A, you know, just charge, 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 Yep. and his heart gave out at 38. Oh, tragic. Yeah, pretty pretty amazing story. And he was finally inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame last year. Wow. Bang, the Burt Burns story. Yeah. Well, that's a great way to end it. And uh, again, Evan, I think that was, God, you just... You've opened my eyes to this idea of finding opportunity where they're right in front of us, just right in plain sight. So thank you so much for doing that and taking the time. And uh, any final words before we say goodbye? Oh, I can't tell you how stoked I am to have done this. This is great, man. I'm I'm tripping. It was awesome. Thank I'm, you very much for the opportunity to, to to do this with you, Martin. I'm grateful. It was a lot of fun. I'm the one who's yeah. grateful, and I, I'm certainly hopeful the listener is as well. I'm grateful to the listener. All right, Evan, say goodbye, and we'll uh, sync up later. Thank you, sir. All right, everybody, be well. Only good things. Talk That's to right. you later. Bye. We'll see you at the next episode.